0: Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m., worship gathering at 9.30 a.m., or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor John Buckley. We're continuing on in our series on Samuel. We're in the section, we started out with Samuel, a man who heard from God. We're in the section on Saul, a man who ran from God. And you're going to see that very vividly as we've kind of built the picture leading up. In chapter 14, you saw that a battle took place. And uh, it started, if you want to go to the beginning of chapter 14, it started when you had um, Jonathan... Uh, and and Saul with the army, the army was falling apart, you had guys hiding in holes, you had guys joining the Philistine army, it was just a hodgepodge of stuff going on, not a good time in Israel's history, and Jonathan decided to say, hey, the Philistines were right there on the the boundary of Israel and the Philistine nation, so they're trying to decide what to do, and Jonathan decides to put a fleece out before the Lord, so to speak. He goes up, and God gives him a victory over a few people, but it has a ripple effect, God sends an earthquake on top of it, And this powerful thing takes place, led by Jonathan, not Saul. And then we had a situation where Saul, after that, decides to make this rash vow. We heard Don Stubbs preach on that and and made a foolish decision on saying, don't eat even though you're exhausted. His son did it, and the people had to come to his son's rescue. So Saul's kind of falling apart here. Uh, Things aren't going well. He's not making wise choices in this, and he's really revealing the kind of person he really was. Which it was, what's has intention was to help the people understand that when you want things that are your plan and not my plan, they're oftentimes usually going to end up in really bad situations that have some pretty strong repercussions from it. So now we go into this, and, and I've entitled today's message, Saul's Slippery Slope. Now when I think about that, I think about slip and slides. Anybody here ever been on a slip and slide before? Okay. We did what they would call a hillbilly slip and slide. My parents had an old waterbed, and they cut it down the middle, and we slipped on that and slid with uh, Dawn. I remember they're putting the Dawn dishwashing liquid. By the way, it really works uh, well. Uh, And we had a little hill in the backyard, and my dad would get out there with the hose. And the funniest thing I ever remember about that is, you know, man, we loved it. We'd hit it, and you could, like, slide, and there was a mud at the end of it because you're tearing up the grass, and... My mom was always good about the yard is for kids to play in, which I appreciate. Um, and man, we did. Man, we we had water there and soap suds, and it was a lot of fun. The neighbors were over there and having a good old time. I'll never forget my dad though. It was kind of getting a little dry. We we're pushing all the water off, and my dad comes over with his hose. And we the way it went, it went down this, went to this, this little hill. And my dad's kind of walking gently on it, you know, trying to hose it. Which to this day I'm like, why didn't you stand on the side? I don't know. I never asked him. Um, he's doing it, and I just remember when he got down towards the edge of, you know, the little, the little uh, incline there. You could see him start to slip, and it was just like the cartoons. He started back with his feet, and you know, whoa, 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 wham, you know. And then on top of it, and if that wasn't funny enough, of course he went sliding down, you know, the uh, the slip and slide. And my mom's like, if you really want to play, you know, Wayne, there's easier ways to do this than uh, jumping in that way. His back hurt for a few days after that. Slip and slides are fun, but it's not a great place to stand on. And once you get going, you really can't stop. And Saul started down a slippery slope when he decided that he knew better than God. Now, I read 1 Samuel 15, and we're going to take it apart today. But I'm going to tell you before you get high and mighty and pious, make sure you evaluate your own heart in this situation. Because you read this and you go, Saul, you are an idiot. I mean, come on, God told you. In 1 Samuel 13, you decided to go and do this offering to, to, uh, the, because, because Samuel hadn't arrived in enough time. Saul, so you decide, well, I'm gonna do it because Samuel's not here and the people are gonna leave and I want to make sure I lead the people, so I'll do it. And Samuel comes to him and goes, wait a minute, that wasn't your prerogative, that wasn't your option. You disobeyed God. Strike against him and you'd think you'd learn something. I love what Albert Einstein said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results. Isn't that true? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results. Have any of us tried to do the same thing over and over again expecting different results? Yeah. My worst is trying to get a nut on a bolt that doesn't fit. I'm already not very mechanical, but man, I'll Jam it on there with a hammer if I need to, because I'm sure this should work. I've done many, many, many items, non, uh, non-alive items, damage doing things that way. So let's kind of go through this. First, first Samuel 15, verse 1. The first thing we want to see here is the command is clear. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts: I have noted that em, um, Amalek—I almost said it the wrong way—Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek, and devote to destruction all that they have. Don't spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now the first thing that sticks out to me when I read that is everything. God really. And we see some passages in the Old Testament that way. And I get asked that question sometimes. Why did God wipe out entire nations? God wiped them out in order to to protect his people, knowing the repercussions that could be taking place there. And so God knew what was necessary in order for his people to have a situation where they would have been in a protected, flourishing environment if he didn't take care of those nations that were against him. Now, Amalek has a start way back in Jacob and Esau's time because the Amalekites are really the descendants of Esau. Now think what would have happened differently purely if Jacob and Esau would have had the right kind of relationship. If Jacob would have humbled himself and not deceived his brother, his mom was in on it, and they went and they just, this horrible relationship. And you see a a period of restoration in there, like maybe they're going to be okay, but it almost seems more like a truce than a true embracing each other. And the Amalekites were a nomadic tribe. They kind of, their main residency was kind of up in the cliffs. It was good defensive positions, but they would bring down their their, uh, animals down to the different plains they would go to, and different oases that were there in the desert, and they were wandering around. Many kind of separate tribes, but all underneath kind of one banner of being the Amalekites, the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren of Esau. But see, there's something else there, I think, that's interesting we need to realize, is that this Amalekites, when God had the Israelites be able to leave Egypt... They started on their way. And if you read during that section in Exodus, in fact, this story here is in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 to 16, if you want to look it up later. Exodus chapter, um, say that again, Exodus 17, verses 8 to 16. And so the Israelites are looking for a way to get to the promised land, and nations would go, no, you're not coming through. Even if they said, hey, we won't touch your crops, we won't do this, we won't do that, they didn't trust them, they didn't want them to go through, they didn't like them, whatever the reason. And one of those tribes that did that one of those nations was the Amalekites. So God says, I'm going to judge them for the way they treated you when they had a chance to help you. Especially since they were, there was a cohesive relationship there being from the same bloodline. Going back to Jacob and Esau. So God says he's going to wipe them out as a result of it. Now I think something else is interesting. Which we're going to find out later on in the passage. So I'll give you a sneak peek here. God told him to wipe everything out. You're going to find out that's not the case. And we only hear about their king, by the way, being spared. But you're going to see, which we'll read a little bit a little bit later, there were some other um, um, parts of the tribe that were left uh, available to be able to flourish. And I'm going to cover that in just a minute. But God had a reason, even long term, about what was to take place. So the, the command's pretty clear. Go, destroy everything. There's not much to read between the lines. Now, when you say everything, God, do you mean everything? I mean like everything, everything. Yeah, everything. It's like when I tell my children, well, not anymore because that time period has passed in our life, but go clean your room. Now, I don't care how many times I showed my kids how to clean their room. When you go tell them to clean their room, now you have some kids, which by the way, probably clean better than you do. Um, But most of us have kids that their idea of clean is out of sight, out of mind, or what's the minimal I can go by? Or what do you mean it's not clean? While there's still underwear hanging from the top of the, you know, the, the bed and there's you know, old food and all kinds of other fun and sundry items, which for some of your parents would absolutely send you off the deep end. Or don't open the closet or look under the bed. So you go, hey, it's pretty clear. You go in, I've showed you what clean means, clean it. And then you get done and go, hey, yeah, I'm going to come here and check your room. You open it and you go, you didn't clean your room. I did. No. I told you. And, and we can take that to an adult situation as well when some things are pretty clear and what we're supposed to do. The command is clear and we're supposed to do and We just don't do it. Love your wives the way Christ loved the church. Ooh, now we're getting close to home, Pastor John. Spouses are to love each other, but what we do is, well, I'd love them if. I'd love them but. Do you know what they do to me? We're supposed to Love our enemies. It's a command given. We're commanded to disciple others. The commands seem to be clear, and oftentimes we don't follow through, as we're going to see that Saul doesn't. Verse number four says this, the enemy is defeated. So Saul summoned the people, numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah, and Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And Saul said to the Kenites. Go depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Now, the Kenites were a tribe that had shown favor, but also the Kenites were, they, they come from the line of Jethro. Jethro was the father in law of Moses. So there was already kind of a camaraderie. The Kenites were primarily a tribe of mixed nations and mostly people from Judah. So there was, again, some symbiotic relationships there, and they had showed favor. So they say to him, get out. You guys need to get away. And they listened. They left. Then it says in verse number um, seven, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. So he defeated a pretty big swath of land, but he didn't cover all of the Amalekite nation. In fact, if you read in your Bible and Judges 1 uh, Judges 16, by the way, shares with us how um, Jethro is the father in law and the Kenites. But 1 Samuel 27, 8, and 1 Samuel 30 and verse 1 will show you later on the Amalekites pop up again because they didn't kill all of them. They, they left certain cities and certain areas untouched. Now, here's where that really was a problem. You're going to find later on as you read the scriptures, we as a church went through the book of Esther. There was a gentleman who was a leader in the nation of Babylon at that time, and he had in his sights the destruction of the Jewish nation. Does anybody have any idea what tribe he might have been from? The Amalekites. So God was trying to protect his people by wiping them all out, and you see how that crops up later on when Saul doesn't obey and the heartache and the hardship that that created down the road for that disobedience. So the enemy is defeated, but not completely again. So then we see in verse number 8. And he took Agag, that Saul did this, the king of the Amalekites alive, and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. That was of the territories they had taken. Here we go, verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fattened calves, and the lambs, and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. The exception is made. So they didn't destroy the whole land, and what they did destroy wasn't complete. They kept the best for themselves. Now, again, before we judge Saul harshly, let's take the opportunity to investigate our own souls. How often do you let your feelings dictate your actions over the truths in God's words? God's word, excuse me. How often do we let our feelings dictate our actions over what God's word says? But I feel bad about that. I feel like I need to do this. But it's contrary, oftentimes, to what the word of God says. What are you choosing not to do because you have somehow felt that you were the exception? Are you in the word and prayer on a consistent basis? Well, Pastor John, I just don't read well. I don't like reading. Oh, well, prayer, I get distracted Are you loving your wife, men, and are wives you respecting your husbands the way that God calls you to? Well, man, God, if you only understood the wife I had or the husband I have. Parents, are you striving to capture your child's heart or just trying to get them to obey? Christians, are you discipling someone? Are you sharing your faith with the lost? See, the list could go on and on, couldn't it? You see, we all have reasons if we're not doing any of the things they listed above and many others, but you are not the exception. We are not the exception. So when we look at Saul, we see something that was a big problem there, and that's this. Obedience to God's word only works when it is total. Obedience to God only works when it is total. You can't pick and choose what you decide you're going to do and not going to do based upon the way you feel like you can do it. Saul probably thought this was a good thing. I'm rewarding the troops. I'm keeping some really good stuff. So we left a few of the outskirts tribes still alive. We didn't touch them. What's the big deal? We brought the king back. Wow, that shows everybody else what a great nation we are. God didn't need to be impressive to other nations. He was God. He is God. God needed to be obeyed. Folks, as soon as you start to think that you're the exception, you are in dangerous waters. But what about this situation? Aren't I the exception? And believe me, I have been there. It's so much easier to go, but come on, not not me, not this situation. When God makes it very clear, Saul made exceptions, and we make exceptions. Now, the question is, what are we going to do to stop that? I'm not asking you to feel bad about the exceptions you've made. I'm asking you to evaluate your life and ask God how you can see those exceptions as exceptions and take responsibility for it and change it. We see in verse number 10 that the prophet is provoked. The prophet is provoked. The word of the Lord came to Samuel I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. You're going to notice in the Bible that on 29 different occasions that God uses a Hebrew word that says nashum. It's a word that God uses to allow us as mankind to see his heart for his people. He ached over Adam and Eve's choice in Genesis, nashum is used there, and he aches that Saul refused to allow him to be used by God. This heartache is Yahweh led to a righteous anger in Saul then. He was so upset and the effect that, about this was so overwhelming that he stayed up all night as a result of it. Now, now what was that motivated by? That he wanted the judgment now to come on, side, on top of him? No, if you see the character of Samuel, you see a guy, he knew this was the way that was affecting the people. That when they weren't let by a man who followed God, he knew how it was going to affect the people. And Samuel had a heart for his people. And he knew the heartache that was going to come from this, and the destruction that would take place, and the lives that would be affected negatively, because Saul chose to say he was the exception. Do we ache that way over people? Do you have a love for other folks in this church, that when they go through heartache, man, your heart aches with them? And other people outside of this this body that you have a care for? Do you ever lose sleep over being angry about the way that that sin is affecting lives and praying for the people that are being affected by it? The devil hates all of you to the nth degree. He wants your total destruction. And he will do whatever he can to see that happen. He's a master at it. But again, as I've quoted this verse many times, I love 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But Samuel loved the Israelites. He cared for them deeply. God, give us a heart that we love people so much it affects us. God, give us a heart that we hate things that you hate so much that it affects us, like Samuel was. So we see in verse number 12 the king's pride. The king's pride. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. Wow. There's a place to stop. So Samuel gets up early, and he goes looking for Saul, and he comes to find a guy. He goes, hey, by the way, you know where Saul's at? And the guy goes, oh, yeah, he's out there building a statue to himself. See, we're we're going that line to show how Saul was not saying God gave gave us the victory, but look at how I gave us the victory, Look at what I did to lead the Israelites. Look at who I am in the situation. He finds out that he's taking credit and even making a statue to commemorate the victory instead of having sacrifices that should have been made right then and for in thanksgiving to what God had done. He's down there making a monument for himself and he turned, I love it, he didn't say anything. He turned and he passed on He went down to Gilgal, which by the way, Gilgal, ding, 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 that's the same place, that's in 1 Samuel 13, that's the place that he confronted Samuel, excuse me, Saul before that in 1 Samuel chapter number 13. And then what does he say? I love this. He says in verse 13, and Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. I've performed the commandment of the Lord. Wow. Now, was Saul just that unaware of what he had done? Or did he really realize that the sin that he'd done, he was trying to put a big show on because he knew Samuel was there and he was going to have to answer to him. (laughs) Samuel, he's great. He doesn't just confront him. He gives him some rope to hang himself. Verse 14, and Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep? In my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear. Hey, hey, Saul! Just wondering. I know you said you wiped everything out, but I'm just kind of curious. I'm hearing some like lambs, some sheep, hearing some some cattle. They're all making noises. What's going on there? And then we see this interesting one, because we see the blame shifting begins. The blame shifting begins. Saul said, they, 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 wait a minute, I just built a monument to myself because I, no, 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 they now he's saying. They, they brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to Lord your God and the rest we've devoted to destruction. Oh, now they're gonna get all spiritual. Well, now come on, Samuel, you understand, The people, they're the ones that wanted to save this stuff. It wasn't like I had any control over it. And, 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 you know, the people, but they only kept the best. And you know what? We're actually, we were on our way right now to go and sacrifice these animals. Right. Like, really, Saul, you think Samuel is that dense about the situation? Because if you would have been doing that, you would have been doing that first before you built the monument to yourself. See, it's so easy to shift blame, isn't it? You ever been caught doing something wrong? How many of you gotten a ticket before? I know, it wasn't your fault, right? And I remember, I probably the, th- the time I remember that I was the most scared was when the time that I, my grandma caught me. Because grandma was, I don't know about, grandma was the nicest, but when grandma got mad, oh man, Johnny was in trouble, which is not my name, but she used that when she was mad at me. And Grandma made cookies, but there was rules about cookies for a good purpose because I would have eaten the whole cookie jar full of them. And Grandma said, after school, after school I'd go. i stay with my grandparents for a while because of my family background. And I remember going, and I got a cookie out of the cookie jar, and they were so good. She made chocolate chip, which were one of my favorites in the whole world. They tasted buttery and melt in your mouth, and they were delicious. And just one? And so Grandma was vacuuming in the back room, and this idea came in my mind. said, oh, Grandma's in the back. The vacuum cleaner's on this is my perfect chance. Now, there was two ways to get to the kitchen. One was to go through the formal dining room, which, by the way, you could could see where the carpet vacuum lines were. That's how little that room got used. That was for special company and holidays. Otherwise, don't go in there. It was almost like there was this, uh, you know, they have dogs, the the collars on with the invisible fence. It was like an invisible fence for kids. You put your foot there, you almost immediately felt guilt, like, uh uh-oh. You wondered if there was actually traps in there that would catch you. But grandma was over here vacuuming and that was the only way. And I thought, how can I do this without leaving feet print? Isn't it amazing the things we'll go to to, to be able to get what we want? All for a cookie. But I remember I was going and I snuck through there and I'm trying to like cover up my tracks behind me. I'm sure it just worked worse. But I finally got in there. Grandma's still vacuuming. She doesn't see me. There was like this window here. that She could look through in there. And I take the lid off ever so gently. And I grab the cookie. And I take it out of there. And oh, I was getting away with it. Glorious victory. And I put it on. And I shoved the whole cookie in my mouth because I had to get out of there. Who knows when Grandma's going to stop. And I'm chewing the cookie. Crumbs are coming out. And wouldn't you know it, Grandma comes around the corner into the kitchen. As I'm on the counter, just taking my hand off of the lid, and Grandma looks at me. And of course, I love this question. As Samuel asked, John, Johnny, actually was at the time, Johnny, what are you doing? Pretty obvious, isn't it? <laughs> and even, my little mind was working hard to think, how can I possibly make this seem like it's the right thing? And I remember trying to answer her as I'm spitting cookie crumbs out, doing what? As if I was going to somehow fool my grandmother. And she goes, you're only supposed to be one cookie. But Grandma, they're so good, and David, my brother, he sometimes takes two. Blame shifting. And as a child, I remember indelibly being punished and uh, not being able to have cookies for a while, which ooh, that was a big punishment to a child back then. And it's a reminder, though, about a situation that I remember. My first response in that wasn't to go, "Sorry, Grandma." I was wrong. My first response was, how can I make this look better than it is and how can I get somebody else in trouble in a bigger way than I am? And so Saul blame shifts. Samuel, come on. I mean, you know the people. You know how they are. I mean, you dealt with them a long time, Samuel. And they really wanted this. And by the way, it was for good reasons. We wanted to sacrifice them. We're on our way doing that. Just go around the monument on your way there. If we're going to really truly have a heart of repentance, we have to stop blaming people and start taking responsibility. The blame game started in the Garden of Eden. But, and Adam and Eve pointed at each other, it's my parents' fault, it's my spouse's fault. It's my siblings' fault. It's my employer's fault. It's the government's fault. It's the church's fault. It's Pastor John's fault. No, we need to take the blame for what we're doing, acknowledge our sin. No, we are the ones that are at fault. And folks, as much as we don't like that, when we take responsibility and we say that we're wrong, the beautiful thing that can take place is restoration. David got so angry. When in front of him, the prophet pointed and said, let me tell you a story. And as David heard the story about this man stealing the sheep from this little farmer and taking it when he had thousands of sheep, and and you can see David's blood rising. And Nathan the prophet stuck his finger at the end of the story as David's ready to kill that man and says, David, you are the man. And what was David's response well, you don't understand. She was so beautiful. And and, and Uriah, what a lousy husband he was anyways. And no, he immediately said, I have sinned. It's me. That's why David was called a man after God's own heart. Because he took responsibility when he was confronted with it. And took the responsibility that took the punishment that came with it. I sinned me. not Saul. Folks, you won't understand what true repentance is, which is brokenness plus change. That's what repentance is, brokenness plus change. Take the responsibility. Yeah, it's not easy to take consequences, but it's joyous when you know the restoration that can take place. Verse 16, then, the boom is dropped. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I'll tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And Saul said to him, speak. Samuel's like, that's enough. The boom's coming down. I'm sorry. I gave you a chance. I tried to work through this. I tried to help you have take responsibility. You have no idea how burdened my heart is about this. You have no idea how many people are affected by this. But you're not listening, so Stop. And praise the Lord when we have brothers and sisters in our life that sometimes come to us when we're messing up and go, stop. You can't do that to your wife. You can't do that to your husband. You can't do that to your kids. You can't act that way at work. You can't act that way in this body. Stop. Not because I'm angry with you, but because I want to see change happen so God can work in us. Stop. Just stop. So I'll go, go ahead, Speak. So we see in verse number 17, and Samuel says, Though you're little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Hey, hey, Saul, do you remember when you were that humble, lowly Benjamite hiding in the tent when, we wanted, when God put you on the throne? But you are the king of Israel. Your decisions impact many and powerful long term ways. Verse 18, the Lord sent you on a mission. And he said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil and the sight of the Lord? Why? And again, Saul had an opportunity to go, you're right. I sinned. I did it. I blew it. But what does he do? The excuse is given. Verse 20. This is so sad. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. He holds to it. But but I I couldn't do anything about it, Samuel. It was out of my control, Samuel. You don't understand what the people wanted, Samuel. And and by the way, I brought the king so that we could show everybody what God did. It wasn't about me. He still confesses. And we, like Saul, are so concerned with us that we blame, we excuse, and we exempt instead of coming before God. Even asking a trusted friend, hey, where are some areas in my life that you see that I'm off track at? Or when a trusted friend comes and confronts us that we confess and repent of our sense. So verse number 22 the judgments pronounced. Now Samuel is going to share something that you're going to see referenced in the Psalms in Isaiah in Hosea in Amos and in Micah. This was a big message frequently stated in the Bible. And it basically says this, Saul, you missed the point. You can't do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. God desires total obedience. Verse 22. Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Does he have as much delight in that as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better then a sacrifice, and to listen, than the fat of rams. Now listen to this. This is what God thinks about rebellion, folks. This is what God thinks about us when we go in these situations. For rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft, and presumption is iniquity as idolatry. It's like idolatry. Folks, God really takes it to heart when we decide that we are exempt when we decide that we are, can make excuses and we decide to blame shift, he says, that's just like witchcraft and idolatry when you do that. I think we make that kind of stuff these little small white sins. But it's certainly not that bad. But it is, because it reveals that selfish heart that root that flushes itself out in fruit that can destroy us. Instead of getting down and going, no, that's pride. That's selfishness. That's all about you, Saul. It wasn't about God being obeyed and embraced and followed. And then the harsh words because you rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you from being king. Sorry. So you had a chance. God was going to use you. And back in chapter 13, you decided you're going to be the one to do the sacrifices. And now you're going to decide to build a monument to yourself and lie and make excuses and blame instead of asking for forgiveness for not totally obeying God. What a sad end to Israel's first monarchy. So now how are we going to live it? first thing I want to encourage you is start to accept full responsibility. We live in a nation of blame shifting. I don't care what party you're a part of, what state you're a part of, what family you're a part of. doesn't matter. We love to not take full responsibility. So take it. You know when you've done wrong. You know when you've messed up. You know when you dropped the ball. So just take responsibility for it. And then, as a result of that, be willing to accept the full punishment that comes. If you got to pay the ticket, you got to pay the ticket. If you got to go and ask forgiveness from somebody else, then you ask forgiveness. You don't justify it. Say, I was wrong, I need you to forgive me. Accept full responsibility and accept full punishment. But I love this. You also get to accept full forgiveness. I've said this before from the pulpit. Some of my best friends are people I've had the biggest battles with. That I've had to go to them and go, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? I shouldn't have said that to you. Or I've had friends point their bony fingers at me and go, John, you sinned here. And my first reaction was not one of godliness, but how dare you? But then when the Spirit of God convicted me, I had to go back to that friend and go, oh. Thank you for being bold enough to confront me and be a true brother in Christ to me. See, I think it's interesting when you look at Samuel and Saul. Samuel was used by God, spoke for God, was bold in truth, and had a heart that ached for what made God's heart ache and was obedient to God. Let me say that again. Samuel was used by God, he spoke for God, was bold in truth, had a heart that ached for what God made God's heart ache and was obedient to God. You see him in the background of this story. So you can do this. Because Samuel did. You can't do this stuff. But look at Saul. Saul was focused on himself. He thought he was the exception. He blamed others. He shifted responsibility. And ultimately he defied God. Saul was focused on self, thought he was the exception, blamed others, shifted responsibility, and ultimately defied God. So the question I ask is, who do you best associate with? Are you trying to live a life like Samuel or Saul? Again, Be honest. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. Obey the first time. Obey the first time. But, but you don't understand. I didn't write the rules, folks. This church didn't write the rules. God wrote the rules. But see, this is the crazy thing. We think he wrote the rules to make us miserable. We do. Or to make it too hard for us. Well, God, you do not understand me. Really? The God of the universe doesn't understand me. He made you. He loves you. He sent Christ to die for you. He gets you. So let's obey him. Folks, if there's sin in your life you need to confess, I encourage you to do it today. If there's responsibility you need to take, I encourage you to do it today. Let's be the people of God that he desires us to be. Let's learn much from Saul. And come back next week as we hear the rest of the story in the rest of chapter 15 there. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I know I have too often been Saul. Lord, I have decided that I am the exception. Lord, I blame shift I make excuses. God, thank you for convicting me even as I study this passage. Lord, I pray that we'll be a people that's willing to take full responsibility, a people that's willing to obey you, God, a people that's willing to follow you. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word and all that it has. Help us, Lord, now to just take it and live it, not just listen, listen to it in your precious name.